Good morning. Is this working? Some days everything just goes right. And then there's days like today where we seem to be struggling with just about every piece of technology that we have. And it's a pink candle day, which is joy in our context, in our, in our um, practice. And I have to admit, I'm pretty good at hope. I'm a pretty half glass, glass is half full kind of guy most of the time. I'm, I'm actually pretty good at peace. I don't get into too many fights because I lose them if I did. So I tend to try to avoid getting into fights. And I'm pretty good at, you know, trying to, you know, apologize if I've done something wrong. But joy, joy's the tough one for me. I was in retail for many, many years, and Christmas was a joyless season. And every year I'd double down and try and do it better. I'd try to figure it out. And every year it just seemed increasingly more difficult to achieve joy. We're in a season where some of us can relate to what I'm saying. It's been a challenging time. And Christmas is a difficult season for many in general, and joy somehow seems elusive. Now, there are some of you who don't relate to what I'm saying. You have a genuinely joyful life, and you inspire me because I look at you, and you are sincerely grateful, and you sincerely exude that sense of joy in a way that makes me feel it is possible to actually be content. I pray every day that God teaches me contentment, because I think joy is connected to that. But for those of us who struggle, for those of us who are nodding our heads because this is our lived experience, we continue to ask God to give us joy in a season that just seems to leech us of any sense of of contentment. And it's not happiness I'm talking about. I've seen people who are in incredibly difficult seasons in their life. And they are somehow able to maintain joy in spite of some deeply discouraging pieces of of, of reality for them. And and their, their lives are just really, really challenging. But they're able to maintain joy. Now we've been going through Advent. This is our third Advent, as Beth reminded us. And we've been camped out with the exiles this Christmas. And I think... Their lived experience was also one that was difficult to maintain and engage joy. Their feelings were, you know, some of them had a good life in Babylon. They certainly were successful. We know when the exiles went back, many of them stayed. But Isaiah's prophecies to the exiles prior to them even going, he said, you're going to struggle in these areas. And of course, as the exiles were reading these words, as they were being called to repent, they were called to turn back to God, Isaiah is pressing them and saying this is more than just about salvation. See, we turn back to God, it comes with hope, it comes with peace, and it comes with joy. They would have been struggling with this. They would have been looking at what Isaiah was saying. And they would have been saying, we've lost everything. 
But Isaiah comes to this place where he says in chapter 61, I am overwhelmed with joy, capital, all caps, joy in the Lord my God. In spite of the fact that Isaiah knew what was coming, and Isaiah had been tasked to tell the people, repent and turn because this is what you're about to face. In spite of that knowledge, which would have been deeply discouraging, he was able to maintain joy. And it makes me wonder, how did he get there? How did Isaiah actually manage to find such joy in the midst of so much that he could have legitimately complained about? I'll ask that question again. How do we find joy in the midst of a reality where there is legitimately so much that we could complain about? Isaiah goes to covenant. Isaiah looks to the promises of God. This solemn agreement, a conditional binding contract that God made with His people. And he said, this is where our hope is found. God has bound Himself to His people. And it is in that that we can find hope and peace and joy. Now when the exiles were thinking covenant... They were actually thinking it had been broken. They knew that they had not kept up their end of the bargain, and therefore God was no longer obligated to uphold His end. All was lost. They were no longer in the land. A foreign ruler controlled everything about them. The promises were broken, and loss remained. There was nothing to be joyful about in the midst of this catastrophic loss. And yet Isaiah brings this up, holds it before them, and says it's about covenant. It almost seems a little bit cruel. But you see, Isaiah is saying, no, pay attention. The old covenant promises still exist. He talks about Abraham. And if we go to chapter 54, he unpacks all of these covenants. And he says these promises have been made Look at Abraham. Look how in the moment when his wife was not able to conceive and this promise of of a great nation that was as many as the stars in the sky was going to come through him and his wife Sarah. And this promise came to him when he was in in a state where he was nomadic. He had no land. He had walked away from all that his family had to offer. To seek this promise. A barren, landless family promised to be a great nation. And during the, the barrenness of exile, Isaiah is saying that this promise still exists. There will be fruit. You will be back in the land. And God will fulfill His promises. The next, he brings up Noah. And he says, this is a covenant that moves from just the the people of God. And it becomes a promise to the entire human race. So that when Noah's family spread out, it came with a promise that God would not destroy humanity through flood ever again. A promise that actually applied 
to you and to me. God's commitment went even further when at the mountain, when they are wandering in the desert, he comes to them with this new promise, this covenant that says, you are my people and I am your God. And he holds up these promises, each of them with a sign. A child, blood, a rainbow. And Isaiah says there's something new coming. An everlasting covenant. A new promise that is from God for our time. And it specifically speaks into the exiled life. And it's a promise that begins with a banquet. It's this everlasting covenant. It's the fulfilled promise of David. It's a final covenant, and it also has a sign that will confirm. Circumcision with Abraham, sprinkled blood with Sinai, the rainbow with Noah, and in the covenant with this new covenant is a person. The one who will change everything. And Isaiah begins it like this. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. See, he's not standing there to a people who have been deeply battered. He's not coming to these people and saying, you messed up, therefore you deserve everything you're getting. He's not coming to a people who are depressed and discouraged and beaten down and trodden and really have no hope, no peace, no joy, and says, you, you people wrecked this. No, he comes to them and says, Are you thirsty? Come and drink. It's an invitation into relationship. Come and take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Can you hear that? Are you thirsty this morning? Come and drink. It's all free free. Come. These are commands. The term is, it's a justive verb. And in the Hebrew, the justive is, it's an order. God says, do this. He's not saying like, I would say, hey, come and have coffee with me in my office, where it's up to you. He's saying, come. And he's saying, get up out of your seat. It's an order. He isn't just saying, I'd like to have relationship with you. He's commanding you to have relationship with him. And it's not a relationship that is one-sided. He brings with him this new covenant. And he says, come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. See how I used him to display my power among the peoples. I made him a leader among the nations. You also will command nations you do not know. And peoples unknown to you will come running to obey. Because I, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, have made you glorious. Seek the Lord while you can find Him. Call on Him now while He is near. So he's speaking this to a people who are downtrodden, who are under the oppression of a foreign ruler. 
And he's saying, you're not just going to get back to the land. But the whole world's going to come flocking to you. You will command nations. You are going to be change makers for the entire planet. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. You will live in joy and peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Where once there were thorns, cypress trees will grow. Where nettles grew, myrtles will sprout up. These events will bring great honor to the Lord's name. They will be an everlasting sign of His power and love. This love, the way Isaiah writes, he's just bringing in this image of a land that has just been dead. We saw this last week with Ezekiel, the dry bones everywhere, and God brings life to his people. But not just this life of, 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 of a new body, but, but he breathes his spirit in and creates something new. It's transformative. It is joy accomplished. It brings new life into places where we couldn't even imagine that it was possible. See, he's presenting the ideal future that was promised in the past from the very beginning through these covenants with God. And he's saying, I have come in the voice of God to complete this. What Israel longed for has not been lost. What we long for has not been lost. Nothing can take that away from us. You see, this is what covenant is all about. It's everlasting joy. It's everlasting kindness. Because God will complete His promise and bring us to the end and restore everything. Now in some of the passages, these covenants deal with a promise that's related and dependent on David and his lineage. That they would uphold the requirements. They would be rulers that would listen and would follow God. That they would uphold their end of the bargain. In Psalm, 1, uh, Psalm 89, it says, God says that I will maintain my love for him to him forever and my covenant with him will never fail. I will establish his line forever, his throne as long as the heavens endure. And in Psalm 132, he says, if your sons keep my covenant and the statutes that I teach them, then your sons will sit on your throne forever and ever. 
See, it suggests that if David and his offspring kept their end, that God would keep his. And of course, we know from history, there was failure after failure after failure. And so God comes in once again. And this is Advent. This is why we celebrate. This is why the names of God, Emmanuel, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, the one who was born in a manger, came and broke the curse. Because he came up, became the Davidic king, the son of David, that managed to accomplish what all the others in the past had failed to do. You see, Jesus managed to keep our end of the bargain so that God would keep his. He changed everything. It is Jesus who shows us the way. And this everlasting covenant, this promise to David, like the earlier covenants, comes with the sign. And that sign is a permanently renewed creation. There will never again be a skating rink of a parking lot with snow on top of it, so we're slipping around and we can't stay up anymore. That's gone. Virgil's not going to have to scrape the parking lot ever again. I don't know how it's going to work. It's going to be magical. You're never going to be driving down the road and going off into a ditch. You're never going to be burning the chicken in the oven because the pastor preached too long and, and, it, and, it, and it burned because... Because it just was, you know, it was a good sermon, but, you know, it went too long. Never again are you going to be in conflict with someone. Never again are you going to be sick. Never again is life going to be hard. You will experience hope and peace and joy everlasting because Jesus allowed himself to be born in a manger that day. It's why we celebrate Advent. It's why the technology that we struggle with actually doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if our church is big or small. It doesn't matter, sorry Gwen, if we can pay our bills. Because it's all been taken care of. And we can be joyful in the midst of no matter what actually comes our way. Because this is a breathtaking climax. It's shocking. It's in a moment when we think there's nothing going on. It's hard to grasp. Everything around us seems to be fracturing, contracting rather than expanding. It appears to be beyond our comprehension, utterly broken. And Isaiah's words feel like a fantastic dream. But it's because our minds are not like God's. His ways are not our ways. We are limited. We are broken. And we're sinful. And his thoughts are high above ours. And I can't help but think about church. We're under pressure. We're, sh we're shrinking. We're no longer the influential body that we once were. It almost feels a bit futile sometimes. I think about the world and our, and our country, our city, our province, the conflict, the pain, the struggle that we're constantly experiencing. I think about families that are at odds and in distress. 
have conversation after conversation with people who, who have conflict in their families over what's going on with COVID-19. It's difficult enough without adding all of these other things in the midst of it. That's our reality. Exile seems to be the way it is. And another variant comes out. And it seems to go on and on and on. And yet in the midst of this, we ask, what about joy? You see, the Word, the Word that spoke the universe into existence has gone forth once again and has lost none of its potency and none of its power. And it is speaking once again to avert the frustration, to change our reality, to divert us from the course of destruction that we are on. And it's bringing about a new creation, a new world, and a return from exile. Some of it's not yet. It's a future promise. But I can tell you from experience, that new creation, that new existence, that new way of being is right now when Jesus comes into us, enters us, fills us, and transforms us. I am living proof. You would not have liked me 25 years ago. I didn't like me 25 years ago. Now, some of you might not like me now, but but that's for different reasons. The truth is, God changed me, and He actually brought me the possibility of joy. And I was a rather joyless bloke. And it's in this invitation to eat, and all are invited, and it's free. God actually repeats it three times in chapter 55. It's free, it's free, it's free. How much do we try to work for God's approval? How much do we try to work to get the approval of those around us? And God's saying, it's, it's all right here. And it'll cost you nothing. You see, it's a complete reversal of our experience. And it was a complete reversal of the experience for, the, for those in exile. Because they thought it was about them. That they had to live out these moral prerequisites. And then when they had failed, they thought all was lost. And God comes into that and says, No. I forgive you. Come. It's free. There's a banquet. Come. But there's also an imperative. See, the guests must come. Pardon is available. The wicked can forsake their ways. They can seek the Lord and they can be found. And no one is an outsider. And that's probably the most surprising thing about this entire passage. None of us are outsiders. He's calling all of us to be this. So this community that longed for nourishment is receiving restoration Physical and moral. And it's a conviction that we have a future. And the prophets knew that this message would meet the needs they so desperately needed. And he makes this appeal. Come. God will act. We have a future. 
and we can face our condition. We're called to turn away from our wickedness, but we have joy available to us because God is making all things new. And there's three assertions. First, that God's way of running this is different than our way of running it. The people in exile never would have dreamt that they were going to have to partner with this this foreign nation, these oppressors, in order to see this revealed. He's calling them to give up their perspective and to work with God's. The second is they could be sure that it would succeed. Once God's mind is made up, it can't be averted. And finally, it means there can be joy and peace, shalom, true peace, even though they remained in exile. Because God was going to change everything, and that change was going to be permanent. Change is the way they act. Change is the way we hope. The way we understand peace. And allows us to begin to think that everlasting joy is is, is, is possible. You see, Isaiah changes our focus from our present concerns and problems, and it puts our mind on free food, an everlasting covenant, forgiveness of sins, joy, and the fulfillment of God's promises, even when it doesn't feel like that's possible. And there's a choice before us. You see, we can choose to stay in our unbelief. We can choose to remain joyless. We are free to not come. Even though we're commanded to do so, it is us being called, but we can push away. And even with that uncertainty that exists within us, God is challenging us to move, to exercise our faith, and to let our understanding come at some time in the future. To trust even though we can't see. It catches us up short. It calls us to something we may not be comfortable with. It demands from us to let go to trust, and to surrender. I don't know about you, but sometimes I want to decide what's right and wrong. And God is saying, you got to let that go. I don't like to be told what to do. And God is saying, no, you got to trust me and come. And when everything seems like it's going really, really well in my life, I don't want anyone to tell me that that's not good for me. And I don't like to be told to do something, especially if it's going to take a lot of effort. And it might actually bring me some pain. And so we fight it. We want to be in a place where God is in our lives, but He serves me, not the other way around. And that is the fundamental thing about the exile. God had really brought them to this place where they had to change their mindset and their worldview. That it isn't about seeking God's service of our needs and our intention, but allowing themselves to see themselves as servants of the Lord Almighty. And it took trust. It's the trust that Peter had 
And in that moment he stepped out of the boat, he got it. Then he turned away. See, as long as we insist on everything being about our ways instead of God's ways, it remains completely unintelligible to us until we decide on this, to act on this invitation, to surrender our own rights and to decide whether or not it's best for us, but to say, no, I'm going to submit to the Creator. And God allows us to determine that. For those who don't know Him, it's an invitation to come. And it's also an invitation for those of us who've been living a life of faith for many years. I live a prodigal life. Daily I have to re-surrender and take up my cross. Because we live in a world, and as long as we live in this world, it can actually co-opt us. So I think this is an invitation that God has given us to return to the table if we stepped away. And it's an urgent invitation to leave the comfortable ways of this world and to launch into paths of service and living in a way that depend not on our own strength, but on God's. And there's four things I think we need to remember. I think we have to recognize that there is a sense of urgency for this. I'm increasingly feeling that that things are changing and times are running short. And God's call is becoming clearer and clearer and clearer. We need to recognize there's an urgency for ourselves to come to Christ, to not push Him off. If you haven't accepted Him, now is the time to do that. But I also think there's a sense of urgency in my own life to tell the story. There's so many people who just don't know Jesus. And as the time runs shorter and shorter and shorter, I find myself wanting to just to tell the gospel story again and again and again. But I get caught up in my own life. And so there's a call to acknowledge and to renunciate my own sin. To say, Jesus, I have put my trust and my attention into things that have stolen from you and from the things you've called me to do. And so, Lord, I repent of that and help me to be a person of grace. And give me people to tell the story to. It is not his will that any should perish, but they need to hear the gospel. I think there's a call to return to God and to the God of compassion and pardon. If we've stepped away from the table or if we've never actually been there, the call is to come and it's free. And in a society of quid pro quo, we, we have a problem with free. We almost think it comes with, with something that we're just not being told. We're a bit suspect. God is saying, come and return to me and you will receive pardon. But it's not It's free, but it it doesn't cost nothing. You see, it comes with surrender. And we're being called to submit to whatever we think, submit whatever we think we're supposed to do and embrace what God thinks we're supposed to do, which changes the way we approach everything. You see, joy has been accomplished. 
It was accomplished in Jesus Christ, who was born, who lived, who died, who raised from the dead, and ensured that that covenant would never again be questioned. He held up our end of the bargain. Through Jesus, it comes. And it happens when we go to Jesus and surrender our lives to Him. It's a personal transformation. It's community transformation. And it brings new expectations. That's hope. It brings new relationships. That's peace. And it brings new emotions. And that's joy. If you haven't experienced this, if you're struggling with hope and peace and joy this Christmas, I invite you to come to the one who gives life. Come to the table and eat with Jesus. It is free. He's calling you. The table is set and the future is secure. And the future is sure. I pray that we all come together. As I've said often, it is my only hope that each and every one of us hears, well done, my good and faithful servant. My prayer for us today is that we would all sit at that table one day and laugh about the struggles of the past and remember them no more. Lord, I ask that you would bring us joy this morning. Lord, this has been a season where many are struggling. Lord, it's a season where so much just does not seem to be going right. It's a season, Lord, where we have so much that contributes to our frustration. Our resiliency is being pressed. Relationships are being strained. It feels like exile. Jesus, I ask that you would give us a renewed sense of joy. That you would give us peace and hope in spite of all that is happening around us. And Lord, I pray that we would lean into this, these words of Isaiah, that your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts. And Lord, I found myself increasingly wondering, what is it about this pandemic that's serving your purpose? What is it about this difficult season in which we're living that we will one day look back on and have the aha moment where we see how you were acting in order to bring about the good that you have for us. Lord, we can't see it. It feels, it feels like a dream. It's beyond our comprehension. But Lord, you've promised, and we're holding that promise this morning, that you will make all things new. And Lord, we ask that you would plant that in us so deeply that joy would bubble up regardless of the struggles that we're experiencing, regardless of what's happening around us, regardless of the strain or the circumstances, the pain or the struggles or the troubles in which we live, that Lord, in the midst of that, the lament, the sadness, that you would still allow us to experience your joy. 
Lord, as this pink candle burns, I pray we would look at it and be reminded that you've made a decision. You've set your mind to this. And nothing, nothing can get in the way. Lord, we thank you for that. Help us to believe even though sometimes we struggle with unbelief. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ by the power of your Spirit. Amen.